And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is Melissa Lockard with Steve Berman from the Steamheads, a show about the Oakland A's. Well, Steve, we made it through game two, and it was hairy at the end, but the A's managed to extend this series to a final third game, winner takes all, battle royale, which seems to pretty much define every single A's postseason. It's always a winner takes all game, I think, no matter what the series, except for we won't talk about that 2006 ALCS. But neither team has at this point announced a starting pitcher. Both teams probably took some good and some bad out of uh, Wednesday's game. And uh, I think we're going to be going in there just figuring all players are eligible and we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's going to be wild. We have no idea what's going to happen with the starting pitchers, as you said. I'm guessing that they might go with Dane Dunning, the White Sox, and my prediction would be it'll be fires for Game 3 and then Quick Hook, and then you're just going to go Petit and Wendelkin and then see where you are and then try to figure it out at the end, whether or not you use Hendricks again after 49 pitches, who knows, but it's definitely going to be a lot of bullpen arms for both teams game three for sure. Yeah, and uh, although it was interesting, Sean Mania was in the dugout the entire game two, and Mike Fires was down in the bullpen, so it certainly isn't like they were tipping their hand towards a Mike Fires automatic start. And it was—I thought it was interesting, and maybe you know you have a better sense of this too when you were watching Chris Bassett's interview after the game. It was almost sort of like he was giving the answer that uh, justifying a, a Sean Mania start in his kind of response to the whole. Well, we don't really necessarily think that left-handed numbers versus right-handed numbers. Are, are necessarily indicative of it always being the case. But we'll have to wait and see. Maybe they're playing a little cat and mouse. I feel like this whole series has been a little cat and mouse between both teams. Yeah, and Bassett's answer, I think, also, too, you, you look at the fact that he and Manaya are bosom buddies down there in the in the <laughs> behind the dugout. When those two are both off on the same day, they are always hanging out. I'm not actually sure. I should probably maybe I shouldn't even say this, but social distancing isn't exactly adhered to between Manaya and uh, Bassett. They chit chat all game long. They're definitely two peas in a pod. So if Manaya is the guy, and I think that it's definitely possible, the A's do love Manaya. They think that he was unlucky this year. And if you look at his FIP, he definitely was a little bit lower on the FIP than he was in the ERA. And maybe he didn't give as many homers as some of the other guys in the staff, including Lazardo. I just look at it and say, all right, why are you going to tempt fate? I mean, Lazardo has better stuff than Manaya. And he got lit up against the White Sox, who said, we're going to light you up. You should have done your homework. And people thought, okay, well, they're just too cocky. And Tim Anderson's cocky. Yes, he is. He's also really good. And the White Sox knocked him out after three and third. I don't see why you would put yourself out there like that. Because if they do start Manaya, then you have a situation where 
if it doesn't work out, you're going to get criticized for that move for years and years and years. But I don't know if the A's front office really worries about stuff like that. Yeah, no, they've definitely shown over the years that the one thing they do not care about is the peanut gallery's sort of opinion about their decisions. And, you know, I don't know if that's always necessarily a good or a bad thing. But, um, you know, I do think they believe very strongly in, you know, what their data tells them. Um, they have strengthened the convictions of uh, behind their decisions, and they'll be able to give you sort of mathematical reasons why they went with the various decisions. Whether they work out or not is like not what they're kind of worried about. What they're worried about is the process, and their process gives them these answers that they think are correct. So, you know, it's like looking at the Liam Hendricks uh, decision, and I actually agreed with Bob Melvin's decision to bring Liam Hendricks in at that point in the eighth inning. I think, you know, that's the part of the game where it really could have gotten away with them in a hurry, and Hendricks is their best pitcher, and had he brought in, say, Petit or Soria, and he, get the, you know, they were the ones that gave up a couple of hits and a couple of runs there, then you're putting, you know, Hendricks in a very tight position with the momentum already going the other way. I mean, I, I, you know, you, you, would, you don't expect Liam Hendricks to come in and give up a home run and make it five to two like that but you know you put in your best guy against their best hitters and generally speaking you you know you kind of should expect better results and the teams that have done well in the postseason have usually made the kind of move that the A's made with Liam Hendricks in that um, situation so that things kind of didn't go exactly how you would have drawn it out probably doesn't make that a bad decision even though you know it wasn't flawless and I do think it likely that he'd be available for an inning uh, on game three if he's needed, even with the pitches, because it is the playoffs. He hadn't pitched in several days before this outing, which probably had a lot to do with why he wasn't quite that sharp. You know, and if they do win, they have these three days off afterwards. If they don't win, then, you know, who cares, right? He has a long off season to recover. So my guess is that that was a lot of the thinking into letting him go in there that long. You know, and it was just sort of one of those bad luck situations too, because had on the 2-2 pitch to Madrigal, you know, he'd gotten him to go a little bit more up in the air and they'd caught that line drive. You're talking about it being, you know, a little bit hairy there in the eighth inning, but no big deal. And he throws what, 35 pitches at that point or something, um, and you don't really think that much about it. Tim Anderson just seems like an automatic hit every time he's up, so you didn't want to see Tim Anderson again, and, uh, you know, Madrigal just got that blooper to fall in, um, you know, in a way that extended that inning. So all in all, they got the win, so they can kind of take a deep breath and, and, and move on to the next. The other, you know, thing I've noted in Liam Hendricks's career is almost always when he has a bad outing, he follows it up with a really good one, so maybe that's a good thing for them to get that out of the woods now and then he can come in and, and possibly have an impact in uh, game three so we'll see what happens but probably just a big relief to get a win no matter how it came about usually you and I don't disagree too much when Hendricks came in I honestly didn't get it I've watched Petit pitch so well in so many playoff situations that I feel like just put him in and if he doesn't if he doesn't get the first two guys out then you bring in Hendricks, or you bring in whoever, you bring in Deekman if that's the right matchup. I know that you know they're not worried about Hendricks' arm because he's a free agent next year. So, I mean, if, if, if he's good, he's good. If he's not, man, whatever, he goes. But I think that with Hendricks, he actually didn't pitch that well on Saturday. I was at Saturday's doubleheader, and in Game 1, they decided to give him two innings, which I felt was really weird at the time. I knew that it was probably because he hadn't pitched that much lately. And he would have you know two days off before he would get to pitch again. 
But, you know, he actually he got out of that first inning, which was the seventh inning, which, you know, in regular terms would be the ninth inning because it was a doubleheader game. But it, he had some loud contact. And then in the eighth inning, he gave up a couple singles and got knocked out. And it, and he just didn't quite look as sharp as usual. Usually he just looks like one of the most dominant pitchers in all of baseball. And he did not look like that on Saturday. He looked exactly the same. However, I know that it's not a situation where you could expect that. I, I thought there was a 50-50 chance. I thought, all right, there's a good chance that he strikes out five out of six guys and has two perfect innings here and gets them to game three. But I also thought when they started throwing those you know, pitches that you know the slider just wasn't really there, I was like, okay, you need to start warming someone up here. You know, I know Hendricks is your guy and you don't want to bother him, but... You know, you only have one game left here, possibly. You can't let it slip away. I was a little surprised at it. Not surprised, I would say, but I was a little wary of that decision when it occurred. And now he's pitched 49 pitches. And, yeah, Melvin said there's no way he's not going to pitch or he's not going to be available. But still, it's that's that's a little bit of a rough one, especially if he's if he's tired. And the Mania part, yeah, you know, I... Even though I think uh, I would start Fires guaranteed, I'm not even a huge Fires guy. I think that he, he gives up too many home runs a lot of the time, but he does pretty dang well in the Coliseum, and he's uh, he's won so many games with this team. But, you know, you, you mentioned the analytics part. Melvin said, we have a lot of analytics we look at when he was asked about this. So, well, based on what happened the other day and who's available and how we're, look, we look at our bullpen, all those things factor in. So, you know, this will be discussion here in a little bit. I mean, that was a nothing answer, but he did say analytics. And if you look at analytics, then Manaya is going to definitely be the choice. The idea of like, okay, what happened to Lizardo? who throws a 97-mile-an-hour fastball and has a new slider that's ruthless and a good changeup. Lazardo's problem is location, but Manaya has given up a lot of hits this year. He's been a little bit better lately, but I don't know. I, I think you're playing with fire, uh, no pun intended, by putting in Manaya. The one thing about fires is kind of interesting. Uh, maybe think maybe he's not in their plans really whatsoever, and I might be totally reading into this, and this is complete speculation based off of being one of like 20 people in the stadium. During Saturday's doubleheader in game two, which was just a weird game, you know, they pretty much just put a bunch of young pitchers out to slaughter and they knew they didn't care about the win. You know, I was walking in the concourse and I see Mike Fires not sitting behind the dugout, but he's sitting in the top row of the section, like three sections down from first base near where you and I usually sit. And I'm like, okay, that's weird. And then I walked past a little bit later and he's sitting in another section in the top row just by himself. And I don't know if like, you know, being around his teammates for six hours, he just got sick of hearing Manaya and Bassett mess with each other. Or if like he's actually feeling like he's sort of on the outs with the, with what's going on. But it was just kind of a weird deal that he wasn't with the team. So I'm wondering if there's something there. Maybe I'm totally off. I, I think Fires, if you, if you give him the ball, he's probably going to give you four solid innings. And that's really what they need. I think if they get four solid innings from whoever they give, give the ball to, then you give it to Petit, you give it to Wendelkin, and then you figure out where you are from there. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
The other kind of X factor, too, is um, does Frankie Montas have any innings available for this game? Uh, Obviously, right-handed, and when he's on, he's got sort of that fastball-breaking ball combination that, you know, may be the kind of pitcher that would give the White Sox some trouble. And obviously, you're not going to be able to get him for a full outing. I mean, had he been able to pitch as the start, he might have been the perfect starter for this Game 3, you know, just given how good he looked on Sunday. But 113 pitches doesn't put him in line for that. But it would be interesting to see if they try to get somebody who's a starter who maybe only goes through the order one time, and then they switch over to some something else and maybe go inning by inning after that point you know i think that i might even start petite to be honest yeah you know it's it's not it's not a bad idea and then maybe that's why you didn't see him for a game two i mean that could be a reason why you know certain decisions were made and the guys that were being held back i do have to say with petite i mean as good as he has been throughout his entire ace career he hasn't been very good in the two previous postseasons that they were in he gave up runs in each of those wild card games so um that's you know true. there may be a little bit of memory uh situation with that as well but um it is certainly, you know, there is flexibility down in that bullpen of guys that can can come in at different spots. I thought that um, it was, I think it was Mark Hanna who was talking about since they don't know who the White Sox starter is going to be yet, um, that you just have to be ready for, you know, basically trying to time up velocity at any point um, because they, you know, they're going to be maybe running out there with um, their entire bullpen. And it seems like every guy they bring out of that bullpen bullpen throws 98. So that'll be an interesting test for the A's if the White Sox do go with sort of a bullpenning option, because even though they don't necessarily have a ton of established names in that bullpen, the velocity has at times given the A's some trouble. And, um, you know, you could see that being something that, you know, would be a a real challenge for them. Unlike with Keuchel, they they really look like they had a very smart plan against him and and they sure look comfortable. You know, I I was shocked, actually, from all the managerial decisions that went on in that game. The one that surprised me the most was Rick Renteria leaving Keuchel in to face Chris Davis, knowing that, you know, had he taken Keuchel out before Davis was up, they would have taken Davis out of the game because that's just how the A's have been working with, with Chris Davis. And he left him in after, you know, Davis really, you know, creamed the ball in his first at bat. So it's not like there was a situation where he didn't look good in the first at bat against Keuchel. You know, that did A's a huge favor because he took him out pretty much right after that. But he gave Davis another at bat and and he made him pay. So, um, you know, if you're looking at different decisions, I thought that was a curious one and uh, one that definitely came back to bite the White Sox. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think that's part of what's going on here with, I think, scouting has been completely hindered by this COVID season. And I think especially when you're a manager and you have not seen a team and you have no idea really what's going on, you just look at the numbers and you look at Chris Davis's season numbers and they're terrible. But over the last month, he's been actually pretty dang good against lefties. Chris Bassett said after game two that, you know, you guys might not really know, you know, believe this, but us in the clubhouse, we've been telling them you, the explosion is back in your bat. And I think that was actually maybe in your article too. It was a situation where Chris Davis has been off for quite a long time, pretty much like a full year's time plus. And, but he has looked really good. I mean, on Saturday, his his double down the right field line was the best at bat I've seen from all season. And he's had a lot of times where he's done the same thing that he did early on in game two where he hits a ball to the warning track. So when he hit that home run, 
generally I would have been surprised to see Chris Davis at a key home run <laughs> in an important situation in 2020, but I, I really wasn't, you know, because I, I was like, okay, you're just leaving Keuchel in to face him because you think that he sucks now. Well, he, he might not suck anymore. And, so, <laughs> and that's really, a, that's kind of the bummer about looking at the White Sox and who they have available. They only have one lefty starter. Uh, I mean, unless you count Gio Gonzalez. And uh, so it really, like, if, whether they go bullpen or whether they go with a guy like Dylan Cease or Dane Dunning, it's going to be a righty. So Chris Davis is likely not going to have a huge impact in this game, which is too bad because it was cool to see that home run. Just uh, someone who's, who's followed the team for a while and knows how much this team loves Chris Davis. I mean, he's a quiet guy. We don't really get to know much about him, but the team absolutely loves him. I mean, he, I mean, Matt Chapman's like seems like his best friend. Matt Chapman's not even there, but the you heard it. I mean, the dugout went absolutely ballistic when he hit his home run, even more so than you normally would at a key home run like that. He is somebody that every single guy in that clubhouse pulls for and pulls for, you know, quite forcefully. And I think it was, you know, just a huge lift for them to see him swing the bat so well. And I actually thought his third at bat, he struck out on a called strike three that was at the top of the um, strike zone, but it was against a right-hander and he just missed on two foul balls where one, he went down the right field line that it hooked foul, but he got a lot of distance on it. And the next one fouled it straight back, but hit it really hard. So, you know, I think they're right that his time Timing has looked a lot better. And, you know, going into next season, certainly I think that's a good sign because the A's are not going to be able to move that contract, obviously. So he's going to have to be part of their plans. And, um, you know, I think he could make up for a lot of other areas if they lose players, if he gets back to his normal self. But just for that one moment in the game, I thought that was really great. And it was also really fun that the A's uh, wives and some of their family members were up in that Mount Davis uh, box. Because I don't know, Steve, if you could hear him, but I could hear him yelling that game. And it, it really, added something to the I mean it was like a tomb on Tuesday you know there was just no noise and there's there's just not enough people there to make a lot of noise so that added noise just made it actually seem like a real game to you know be at which was fun I'm saying the first base side in those press seats, the which was the visiting uh, media for the entire season, and there's a bunch of White Sox employees that are sitting uh, sort of spaced out. Some of them wearing masks, some of them not, and they're very, very loud. Actually, game one, you could hear them quite loudly next to me because of how much they were cheering for all the home runs that were occurring. And then uh, during game two, they were you know trying in vain to sort of uh, start a rally by cheering. That I don't know if these guys or scouts or what they are but you know there's like you know 20 or 30 of them all just sort of spread out there that was definitely cool to see the fans you know Marcus Simeon's family was there as well they were cheering his home run and I think Simeon actually that was maybe the best sign of the entire day if you're looking at hopefully the A's advancing I mean Simeon has not been the same guy all season we've talked about it on this pod he seemed like he's kind of back to where he maybe was before and I'm glad that Melvin put him back in the leadoff spot I I haven't really agreed either with, I've been a little bit wary on some of Melvin's moves lately. I think he's kind of tinkering a little bit too much lately. I understand it because the team needs a little bit of a jolt. They threw Listella into the leadoff spot for a few games in the last week of the season. And then they put Simeon back in the leadoff spot in the, over the weekend. And then they put Listella back in the leadoff spot just because they were facing a righty. I think at this point, after last season, I think the 60-game season is really tough to draw any, any, any real judgments off of. The fact that Simeon was the leadoff guy last year and was just dominant, at this point, I think you just got to ride with him. Stick him in the leadoff spot. doesn't matter if you're facing a righty, a lefty, whoever it is. 
have Simeon lead off spot, have Stella hitting two, and then just go from there. I think the lineup juggling the rest of the way is fine because I think Olsen right now is completely pressing for home runs at this point. And, you know, obviously Pinder is a guy who you kind of mix and match in there. So you don't really know what you're going to do day to day the rest of the lineup. But I think just put Simeon in the leadoff spot where he was comfortable all season last year because I think it seems like right now that he's locked in. And if the A's do win game three, I think that he's going to end up being one of the more valuable players. Well, no matter what happens, I think we all had in our predictions that Nate Orff would require would uh, record the <laughs> final out of an A's postseason victory in 2020. So, you know, that that one was by far the easiest prediction to come true. And I'm glad that we all got to see that come true when we made that prediction back in Absolutely. March of this season. So thanks so much for listening. Tune in for Game 3, and we will be back after that to see whether the A's have continued on or whether we're summarizing the 2020 season. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.